down specifically into that post and try to under, unpack a little bit what does that post in, in, in its orid- original intent mean and then and then see how we express it in social media in a way that actually wants it to fit a narrative that we're trying to convey perhaps instead of letting it actually speak the truth that it has. And one of the things that we know clearly from Scripture is that um, the the intention of Scripture, the, the power of Scripture lies in its truth, not in, in truth that we give it, uh, because God's truth is what we need. Amen? And no one can say amen. But you can type Amen. Thanks. Hey. <laughs> um, I was paying attention. So in laying, in laying some groundwork here for our discussion... We want to um, we want to really give a, a, a good framework for what we're what we're heading into, um, and and with that, um, one of our, our favorite uh, Adam Ford characters in his cartoons. If you're not familiar with Adam Ford, uh, he writes uh, pretty scripturally and culturally poignant comic strips, if you will. Um, and one of uh, our favorite characters is Captain Context. <laughs> Captain Context comes in and often saves the day. Um, we need to put everything that we uh, we do into its proper context, um, because without context, um, you know, you could run into a pretext for something. Well, am I supposed to finish something there for for proof texting? It doesn't matter. Okay, that's okay. I went to uh, <laughs> I went to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's Dead. Ah, which classic shall movie. not be quoted here, but <laughs> it's a different. Every exit. Every exit. <laughs> all right, so moving it, moving it forward. Bring it all the way back for Captain Context to fit into our discussion. What is the Bible? What is the Bible? It's a book. <laughs> Didn't somebody make a... It's a book. Somebody do a picture that way? Oh, pose? No. Again, important to keep the Bible in the right context. Um, so when we're talking about what is the Bible, the reason that we wanted to talk about what the Bible is, is because we need to have a proper understanding about what the Bible is so that we can actually analyze the, uh, the image, the post, um, that we're, that we're going to be talking about. Because, um, when we talk about context and we talk about scriptures as pastors, we know that scriptures, um, they, they mean something, they are something, they, and they speak for themselves. So we must understand what the Bible is so that we know what to expect from it, right? Um, so that we can approach it as, as, as people who are humble um, and not as people who are proud and let God speak for himself. So um, the Bible is a collection of 66 books written by 40 or so authors over several thousand years of time. Um, it is the most historically accurate or is it is the most historically verified ancient text um by orders of magnitude um and that's another podcast where we're defend where we can easily just easily defend the scripture's veracity um but as christians from our worldview we would also state that the, the bible itself what it tells us about itself is that the bible is the word of god um it is an inspired book by god himself through human authors who wrote these things down um and so, so that means that as Christians, when we when we look at the Bible, when we read the Bible, we're not we're not reading um, we're not reading uh, platitudes. We're not reading um, stories that may or may have happened. We're not reading um, you know uh, things that things that we can take or leave. We're reading things that are written down with the authority of God Himself. And so, because because they are that, we have to then approach them in a certain way. So, uh, one of the giant uh, one of the giant things that, that people talk about is how do we interpret or how do we actually come to know what the scripture is saying about itself? And that's what we wanted to talk about next. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add about uh, what the Bible is? What more could I add? There is nothing more. I, could, I completely covered it. That was fantastic. I just saved you guys hundreds of dollars of books, of buying books on the buying subject. Books. <laughs> <laughs> buying the books. Um, and so when we go into interpretation, uh, you then have to look at how you're going to interpret the scripture and obviously one of the things that's very clear to point out in scripture um, is that inside of scripture are many genres right so inside of of the the writings of scripture even inside of a particular book you're going to weave yourself through the different genres of scripture and what we're going to not do tonight is unpack each genre right of of literature for you 
but understands those genres are in the scripture is important to help us understand interpretation because obviously there are certain ways you're going to use and interpret inside of a narrative that are different than, than you're going to interpret um, inside of poetry. Um, there's, there's, there's historical narrative and poetry which come down right inside the same book. They are interpreted differently. We relate to those things in different ways. That's just an example. That's one thing that needs to be understood in interpretation. The other thing that you have to, another thing you have to understand in interpretation is the fact that we're reading a book that had an actual time, place, and people it was written to. And that goes throughout the book. And so when we're expressing that the Bible was written over thousands of years, we're expressing that that was written to people over thousands of years. And it entails the experiences and cultures of those people as we unfold it. So another thing we have to do is jump into, right, what was the historical captain context? What was the historical context in which it was written? And so what we've done then pieced together also uh, is grammar. And that, that brings in the genres as well. So we've, we've pieced in the, the genres, the history, and one of the grammar. And so when you look at the scripture, you're looking at, at three main languages, right? You're looking at the Old Testament being written Hebrew, the New Testament, uh, including Aramaic and Greek. And so we want to understand that there's grammar involved in those languages as well. As well. And so we want to unpack the scripture and interpret it accurately utilizing right the correct history genre and grammar that come to bear on the scripture putting it into its correct interpretation that doesn't also limit to it to the fact that as we read those things and unfold those things those things then are impacted and one of they are impacted through because it is god's text is the holy spirit the holy spirit then impacts those things and it takes those things all of those components together to bring them into our our actual lives pulling them into and, and literally enveloping us in truth that impacts us. And that doesn't just impact us in a physical way, it impacts us in a spiritual way. That is where the scripture's truths meet us. And that is, that is a, a joyful thing. And so we have basically, looking at Timothy, unpacked the fact that um, the, the Bible, right, is, is God's source material to us, right, for doctrine. What is the truth that is coming from the word? Right. It is it is it is also uh, for us to profit from it in a way that it can reprove and correct us. Where are we missing? Where are we lacking in light of God's holiness? And that is what the Bible does. Um, and, and it also instructs us in what what righteousness is that we would not otherwise know. We would not otherwise understand. That's what the Bible in a nutshell is indeed amen yeah amen so the the scripture that you're referencing there is second timothy three sixteen and 17 which uh, states that all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training up in righteousness um so that the man of god may be complete and equipped for every good work amen um so when you when you reference timothy that's who we're talking about there um paul wrote paul that to timothy. writing to timothy Correct. In a historical context, utilizing genres and grammar. Um, so to, to sum that point up, um, as Christians, uh, there's a couple things that we then have to be, um, we have to be interested and concerned with. So we have to be interested and concerned with history. We need to know, we need to be able to know and find out about the historical context in which the scriptures were written so that we can better understand how, how the, the language, the grammar, the genres all played out to the people um, and times in which it was written. Um, and then from that, um, with the help of the Holy Spirit, um, God himself as an interpreter of that to us, um, we can then combine all of those things to actually come to an accurate understanding of what a particular passage is. So as Christians, we must, we must be Christians, but we also must be historians. Uh, we must be um, uh, readers. We must be bookish people, people of the book. Um, uh, we must, we must know and love the context and usage of words and grammar, um, both in the original languages and in our own language as it's translated, uh, over time. And there's ton and we, we sit at no better point in history. Do we sit to actually find and uncover these, these things and these methods? Because we have thousands of years of absolutely brilliant genius men and women that have sacrificed themselves to, to give us tools to utilize, to help better understand those things. Right. So, um, that's. That's, cool. I think, a good summation there. Um, and speaks powerfully to the sovereignty of God in and through his word and his people. Throughout all of human history. Amen. Um, so uh, that's that's the Bible. Um, that's how we approach the Bible. That's what we're going to be talking about um, 
that's how we're going to be interpreting uh, the scriptures as we break them down tonight. Um, so real quick, we just wanted to move to um, the post in question that we're going to actually be addressing. Um, I have it up here. Um, I will read it for you. Um, this was, uh, I believe, um, initially shared by a man named Jared Price um, at the beginning of June. Whether or not that was originally the original post or not, I... It's it's kind of Who hard to could tell. Be certain with the when things words. go viral, it's it takes everywhere. A lot of it takes a lot of digging. So the uh, the post here is this: it says, "If you are a Christian, which I am, and Justin is, Amen, um, and can't hear hashtag Black Lives Matter without feeling the need to respond with a criticism that all lives matter, then crack open your Bible and hit up Luke 15, which is what we are about to do. Um, Indeed." So, uh, but, but this gentleman, instead of actually quoting the passage, he says, don't have it handy, let me summarize. Uh, there are 100 sheep, but one goes missing. Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one, which is actually fairly accurate. Um, now, he, he takes a little bit of liberty here. So, the 99 would say, but what about us? Don't we matter? Um, he responds by saying, of course the 99 still matter, um, but they're not the ones in danger. The one is. So, I'll say it again. Um, and he uses the hashtag Black Lives Matter. Um, so, one of I want to be clear before you get keep going. There are literally um, hundreds of posts a day that I come across scripturally that we could have used on right. any given social media day. Uh, and perhaps we should do more. Honestly. And so, one of the things that we are not doing here is uh, trying to um, call out any particular person um, for whatever reason. Uh, rather, what we're trying to highlight is the need for God's people uh, to accurately and clearly express the truths of God's word in a way that actually impact it, uh, impact the culture as it was intended, rather than trying to have a narrative personally that I bend the scriptures towards. That is what our goal is here. Right. And so similarly, earlier earlier you saw me hold my Bible up and, and reference that somebody somebody recently did a photo shoot like this, right? We can both... Um, no, we're not going to do that. You know, so that seems to be... As, as I was reading this, as I was seeing it shared, and as I was seeing my friends contextualize it on, on the interwebs, uh, this post was being used in a similar way. And so what we don't want to do is use the Word of God... Um, to promote our own personal agendas. Amen. We need, and this is why we went over what the Bible is right at the beginning, because because if we use the Bible to promote our own personal agendas instead of letting the Scripture speak as to what it is, we actually then are taking God's words, saying they're not important, and putting our own words, uh, feelings, and agendas above that. That is which correct. is blasphemy of the highest order. Absolutely. So that's why we want to make sure that we that we do this do this in a way that that we can make sure that we hold scripture up high and we don't want to see it misused and we don't want to see it misused in our culture. We don't want, especially don't want to see it be, see it misused by other Christians or in any sort of viral way. So that's Amen. why we wanted to hop on here, um, for this hour tonight and, uh, kind of, kind of parse the text and then, and then see what the text actually might have to say about the issues that, that this gentleman's actually trying to address. This is correct. Because scripture is profitable for all, all things, uh, correction and doctrine and teaching or proof as, as we read in second Timothy. And so we can actually apply what this passage is actually saying to our own cultural context in a way that is far more accurate and probably far more, uh, of eternal value than what this gentleman was trying to do. What a joy uh, that initially. is. What a joy that is. What a joy it is to be able to see the scripture come to bear inside of our cultural context. Right. Um, it is as if God has literally written a book that speaks to the context as we find our contexts. Contexts we find ourselves in. Uh, on contexts? Contexts? On any given day. <laughs> um, and so one of the things they teach you um, in in coaching, if you've had any classes on coaching, and I'm, I'm by say by coaching, I don't mean life coaching, I mean actually coaching. And when and, and by coaching, I actually you mean like mean a co- sport. Coaching little children. Coaching little children in a sport. What will happen as you're coaching little children in a sport is um, you'll be coaching them. Um, and if you're coaching them in an outdoor sport especially, but even if you're coaching them in an indoor sport, all right, so you're going to relate to this. You're coaching them in an indoor sport, all right, um, you're in a gym, you're coaching them, the gym door opens. What does every child do? He's turning his head to look and see who came in the gym. Does it matter? No. Is the coach talking? Yes. What are you going to do at that point? You must do something because you have lost all the focus, focus of each child uh, in your care. 
Same thing happens outside. You're coaching, you're coaching the children, and a plane takes off from Philadelphia International Airport, and it flies over your head. And what does every child do? Oh. You have to do something as a coach to get their, their attention back. And so we've just read for you a post that has gone viral, and in it, it contains words, words that are very distracting, and words that immediately uh, make people that are listening want to know, what, what are you going to say about this? What are you going to say about the cultural issues uh, on which we are flying flags left and right in our culture to see who or what we may or may not agree with or may or may not be able to um, uh, accept or reject all right, um, um, accept or cancel. Um, and so one of the things you need to do, we want to do initially, all right, and we don't want to lose you on this, but what we want to do is we want to literally do what a coach should do in that situation. And that is say to all the kids, all right, everybody, everybody look at the plane, all right, because you don't need heads going like this. And then this kid looks at you like, oh, I'm supposed to look at the coach. And then the other kid looks up. And then so you've got heads doing this the whole time. You literally want to say, all right, kids, everybody look at the plane. Everybody see the plane? The plane is there. All right, the plane is there. Now look at me. Focus here, right? So we want to address the issue that is distracting so we can dive into the, the meat of what we need to get to tonight. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. All That's right. kind of why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this post clearly is, is, is representing all right, uh, a position of hashtag Black Lives Matter. It's applying it into the context of Luke 15, all right, into the story that is the sandwich story of three stories in Luke 15. It's actually the top layer of bread. The, the top layer of bread? Well, it's not in the middle. It's not sandwich. Oh, it's the, oh I'm sorry. It's it like the, the top, top layer of bread. It's the top layer of bread, yeah. right. It's when you're sinking your top layer teeth yeah, you're into. Like, you're literally get, catching the top layer. So the top yeah. layer of bread, and, 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 and not skirt past it, but he's trying to insert this hashtag Black Lives Matter into the text here in Luke 15, to connect it to a specific portion, a specific being in the story that Jesus is telling here, in the parable that Jesus is unlocking, and so and so as he does that, he has made made the issue now uh, not the text and what it's saying, but rather he has made the hashtag the issue, and so I just want to speak on that for half a second in a way that clearly illuminates God's word, but does not actually in any way. Um, cause anyone to have any idea what our narrative is because we don't it's not about our narrative right. amen it's right. about god's narrative correct all right so um if i were to say to you jesse this sentence i want you to tell me if it's true or false okay okay black lives matter true 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 okay we agree oh, we that is that, a, out of the way. that is an english <laughs> sentence that involves three words Black, which is a color, in case you didn't know, black is a color, depending on if you're with, you're, you're doing, um, which, which aspect of light you're using, all right? Pigmently, it's all the yeah, colors. Art, artistically, it's all the colors. It's all Scientifically, the colors. it's actually the absence, the absence of, of color. Yeah. All right, there we go. Uh, black <laughs> lives. All right, so lives are, is implying, um, wow, that's another, that's another podcast there, isn't it? <laughs> you're, you're stumbling into this. I, I don't know how this is going. Living human lives. We we are we right, are category really specific. Human lives is what human we this po- lives, this hashtag right? is talking about. And matter having uh, a value and worth. Right. right? Correct. Black lives matter. Right. right. We affirm this statement. Correct. We affirm this statement as true. Why? Um, well, it's 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 very literally because uh, God has made all lives. Um, in fact, I can I can uniquely say this as a Christian. I can say Black Lives Matter. And I can say Black Lives Matter because I believe that God has created all of humanity specifically to bear his image. And that is that is a very particular thing that I'm implying. I'm saying that God has created each man, each living being, that is the general use of man, right? Each living human being with his express image bearing. Mm-hmm. And that's found in Genesis one um, chapter one, very first chapter, verse twenty-six. Uh, then God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Uh, they will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth." So God created man and man or mankind in His own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Um, and then, if you if you actually flip back all the way all the way through to the end. Um, to the book of Revelation, and I, I did not uh, dog you with this reference, but if you go back and look into the book of Revelation, at the marriage feast of the Lamb, all peoples from all nations, tribes, and tongues will be joined together as God's saints, as God's children, 
uh, and will be in heaven at his table worshiping him forever. Mm. Um, because he made them in his image, because he has instilled human life of all shapes, colors, and sizes. Going beginning uh, to end, are you? Beginning to end. Uh, nice. The meta-narrative um, with an inherent dignity and value because God declared that all humans have inherent dignity and value and worth. Amen. And so that is how, that is scripturally how we can affirm without any hesitation the statement that black lives matter. They matter because they matter to God. And because they matter to God, they matter to us. Um, so that's that's that. What then happens is he, he tries to create a, 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 a dichotomy. Uh, he tries to create what is essentially for a Christian a false dichotomy um, by, by juxtaposing Black Lives Matter with the phrase, All Lives Matter. Let's try it again. Jesse, I'm going to say a phrase to you, and I want okay. you to tell me if it's true, okay? All, right. All lives matter. True. 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 Why is that? Uh, well, because if you turn back and <laughs> because God has created all of humankind, every tribe, nation, and tongue with inherent dignity, value, and worth bestowed upon us by him. And so while black lives matter, all lives matter, Asian lives matter, uh, you know, Caucasian lives matter, uh, every life matters because every life is fashioned after the pattern and image and likeness of God himself. Amen. He has breathed eternity into our hearts. This is amen and true. And so we, we can both affirm that black lives matter and that all lives matter. Um, these statements are accurate. All right. Notice we're not trying to paint a narrative. We're not getting involved with organizations. We're not getting involved with the back and forth of social media. We're simply letting you know that, in fact, only, um, only the Christian worldview, which believes that all life created, uh, all human life created, bears the image of God, would express this accurately. Um, if you do not hold this worldview and you are expressing that any particular life matters, I would ask you, why? Fair question? I think it's a fair question. All right. That's a different podcast, though. Now that we've unpacked both literally what's happening culturally in the post um, and and expressly what we believe God's word is, the Bible is, we want to dive into the actual content of the post. The post is taking a passage from Luke 15, and it's saying that black lives matter fits into the context of a hundred sheep where one goes missing, and literally it expresses black lives matter onto the one sheep that goes missing. That's, that's what the... That the content does. That's what the actual text does. Is that accurate? What is it saying? And and what is Luke fifteen saying? Right. That's the goal now. Well, right. The question we we would ask is: Is the point that this gentleman is making in his post the point that the scripture is making itself? Correct. Um, and obviously, that's a yes or no question. Then after that comes why or why not? What is and and then how does the scripture actually apply to us in in this scenario? That's where we're headed. Uh, is everybody alive in the chat? Um, just uh, just checking, um, but uh, just make sure we can we're still able to be heard. Cause yeah, like if we're not being heard right now, this is really dumb. Yeah, although just, I love hanging out with my brother. I mean, I love it too. This Amen. Is, I mean, I'm having fun. I'm being edified. Yeah. Um. So that that's where we're going to go now. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 15, um, that's where we're going to be spending some time. Um. So first, we want to talk about the. You know what, Rob? Forget you. Um. <laughs> Unless you're being serious, in which case we can talk louder. <laughs> Wait, you can't hear us? Can you really not hear us? It's really hard to tell with him. He's kind of a he's kind of like David Woody. He's sociopathic. Um, you can't edit this, by the way. This is out on the internet. Okay, Amy matter. says, "Yup, I trust Amy way more than I." Wow, trust. this is horrible. All right, um, I trust you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Luke 15 has its own context. To start the context of Luke 15, you have to you have to start in verses one and two. So we're, I'm just going to read verses one and two, so you know what the context. Captain Context. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. All right. um, do you want to break it down first? There's three sections that we're, we'll address here in Luke 15. Uh, yeah, sure. So the sandwich that we were talking about earlier, um, the first parable, the first layer, the top layer, the bread, I would also include the condiments, uh, perhaps the first few layers of, of like lettuce and, and vegetables. Nay, there's also condiments on the bottom. It doesn't matter. So your, your top condiments would go the on the top usual, oh, That's fair. The usual sandwich. You ketchup, you mustard. All right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Mayo. Miracle Whip. No, Miracle Whip goes Miracle. in the bottom. Miracle goes in the bottom, creates a bed for the pickles. It doesn't matter. Carry on. All right. Um, top layer. Top layer would be the, the, the particular passage that, that, we are, that was referenced in the post itself. So, also, thank you, Rob. We, we got your response. Yes. Uh, so uh, it's the parable of the lost sheep, verses 1 through 7. The, the middle 
um, which we could liken to the meat, although we don't want to be unclear. Uh, the, the meat is in the entirety. Uh, correct. You, correct. We're just looking at this as a layered sandwich. Correct. It's the, the, the layers. Yeah. Top layer and not talking layer. about. We're not evaluating the content of each of these. Three. Correct. Top anyway. Layer and the second layer. It, yes. The, the second middle, layer is the, the middle. The parable of the lost coin. Um, bottom layer. And the bottom layer would be the parable of the lost son. Or sandwich. What, yes, sandwich. Um, sandwich. Also known as the prodigal son. Correct. Um, so, and, and that spans, uh, the, the lost coin spans from verses 8 through 10, and the uh, lost son spans from 11 to 32 of Luke chapter 15. So, that's the context. That's the content in Luke 15 and from a, from a bird's eye view, all right? Correct. You have you have the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. That is the content of the three stories that Jesus is about to unpack. But even that is shoved inside of the historical content that's going context that's going on uh, at the time. Correct. The historical context of Luke 15:1 reads this way. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him, being Jesus, to listen to him. They're not the only audience, though. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3. So he, Jesus, told them this parable, saying. That's the context. Jesus is literally sitting with people that we would consider, I don't know what the, the, scriptural, the scriptural idea would be, undesirable. All right? they, they would be people of disrepute, of ill repute. That's the people that Jesus is sitting with. Um, what we know about the church is that's the church, that's the people that are welcome at church. All right? Um, it turns out there is none righteous. No, not one. Jesus is literally sitting with the people, right? If you're looking in a in a class based structure, this is a this is a, the, the class of people you don't want to, want to be with. Now, it's not in, it's not inherently people that are poor, by the way, right? Um, it turns out tax collectors usually did fairly well for themselves um, because tax collectors at the time were actually extortionists. Um, so these these weren't necessarily all poor people. This wasn't. Bra- based upon socioeconomic status, this was based upon their actual actions. Their actions were what we would call seedy. Like seedy? Questionable actions. Tax collectors and sinners. And these people are being drawn to Christ to hear his message. What is Christ's message? Christ is, Christ is, is speaking a message of repentance and salvation through the Son of God. That's what Christ is, is preaching. Now that's his holistic message. I'm, I'm doing broad strokes there and and you have this other audience that's also listening the pharisees and the scribes who have come to hear this rabbi and his his newfangled ideas that's what they've come to hear and they're saying this guy this guy's the guy we came to hear he's sitting with a bunch of evil sinful extortionist terroristic terroristic i mean he's sitting with sex workers he's defiling himself with the unclean what is he doing that's what they're saying and that then spurs jesus to these three parables in succession. Succession. Yeah. Succession. Why are we having trouble with the video? I have no idea. Huh. Oh, Kate says we're good. So we'll keep on. I'd rather uh, look at myself, personally. So I don't want to see myself. Hopefully you can see us, or at least hear us. Yes. Um, if something ever comes up, just post it in the chat, because we honestly have no idea what we're doing. So Yeah, if you can't hear us, we're just going to talk. Right, so um, so you just laid out the context of these three parables, correct? That's what you were doing while I was messing with the with That's the what I was doing. I laid out the first three verses, the context, the captain context for Luke 15. All right, great. Uh, do you mind if I then read the uh, the first parable? I would like you to, but that is the, the main one that we would need to deal with, although we can, we're going to, I believe, briefly unpack the other two as well, just yeah, by, sure. way, by way of reference. Yes, correct. Yes. Um, so the, the parable that, that the gentleman's post is referenced and the parable that we're going to be talking about today um, starts this way. So Luke 15, uh, starting in verse 3, says, he, So he told them, that's Jesus, told the Pharisees this parable. Uh, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Um, so that is, that is the actual parable that, we, that we're going to be examining today. Do you want to sum up the other two and then just kind of go forward with just this one? You're, well, how, it's easy to sum up the next one, the uh, meat layer of our, of our sandwich here. 
the the meat layer uh, would be the uh, parable of the lost coin. What we have is a woman who loses a coin that would be equivalent uh, a silver uh, traditionally a silver coin that would have been equivalent to one day's wage, um, and and she loses it in the evening time ish. Think of it that way. She's she then goes and searches the entire house. Right, we've done this. You've lost your phone. You've lost your car keys. You've lost your wallet. Something that is dear to you, all right, and you literally, right? You're, you're turning, you're, you literally clean the house. You, you essentially clean the house because you realize it could be in any of the piles of crud that I've left everywhere. Uh, and, and in cleaning the house, you're hoping to find that lost item. You're, you're looking in the couch cushions. You're sweeping up. You're putting away that pile of mail. You're all these things. Is what, these are things you're doing, right? The, the mess the children have left. And, and when you find that coin, you rejoice. That's the, that's the second uh, story in the parable. The final parable has probably more layers to it than, than I think this this cursory overview would see. Uh, but this is the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, the son that goes wayward, that literally leaves and then returns. Um, and in this, the parable, I mean, you're essentially setting up the idea of of, of, a, of a lost sinner and, and the Pharisees themselves, the pious older son and the lost younger son is really the context you have in this situation with the father being the father, God, the God being the father there, you're, you're you're seeing this dichotomy play out in that story. But you have a son that seeks his inheritance while your father's alive, which is probably one of the worst things you could have done in that context. You're telling your father you wish he was dead. He goes off and loses his inheritance and, and lives uh, at the dregs of society, essentially eating with the pigs, only to He's, return home. He squanders his inheritance. Squanders. He doesn't lose it. He squanders it. Oh, oh right. Squanders. He wastes it. Yes. yes. And returning home, right, emaciated, starving, looking for anything, knowing that if he just lived as a, as a servant in his father's house, he would be doing better than he was. Uh, his father, who probably has a hard time even recognizing his son physically, but knows his son, because it is his son, mm. uh, runs to his son and receives him and throws a party. This leaves the older brother to wonder, why are we throwing a party? Right? You've not even given me a party, and I've been here faithfully working for you the whole time. Right? And you've you've... You've, you're essentially giving part of my inheritance. Whatever was left would have been the other son's. Mm -hmm. And you're giving it to this son who didn't even treat you with the dignity who wished you dead not long ago. Um, that's the weight of what we're looking at in these passages. All right, so I, I, yeah, that's a cursory view of the prodigal son, but I think you get it now. Yeah. yeah. So he, he thrusts this post, though, into that top bread layer, that top layer of bread, verses 4 um, to 7. What we're seeing um, in all of these... One is, to seven. Sorry, well, one to seven, but the essential parable starts in verse four. Oh, fair enough. Correct. Uh, so from four to seven, we have the parable of the lost sheep, right? And in this context, um, he is trying to make a biblical argument, right? Let's see if we can unpack this correctly. He's, he's trying to make the biblical argument. He's at least using the Bible to make an argument. He's trying... <laughs> yes, he's trying... <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> Fair enough. He's using the Bible to make his argument that um, mm -hmm. that in this cultural climate we need to be able to see a specific group of people, namely the the idea and weight of the narrative behind Black Lives Mattering, right, as the lost sheep from the hundred. That's what he's he's That's, trying to do. Yes. But what he's trying to say is that when you try to downplay saying something like Black Lives Matters with a response. All lives matter, which we've looked at already accurately through from the scriptures, would we would be able to affirm both of those phrases? There's no reason for those phrases to be in conflict. Um, when you look at those two phrases and what and the, the dichotomy he's trying to set up between those two phrases, and he then places all lives matter as the ninety-nine sheep. He places black lives matter as the one sheep. Now is is this passage about that? That's the question we have to ask. Right. Is this passage um, about um, a what we would what we're, what we're looking at in the cultural context is a marginalized group versus the majority group, right? That's what that's what we're trying to unpack here accurately. And is is that the context in which we find ourselves in Luke fifteen verses four through seven? Is that the context that's, we find ourselves in Luke fifteen four through seven? Well. No. What? <laughs> so then what context do we are we seeing ourselves here in um in Luke fifteen, four through seven, Jesse? Are we we're not if we're not seeing a majority marginalized necessarily uh concept in Luke Luke fifteen right. there, four through seven. We're seeing the ninety nine sheep and the one sheep. What are we to to kind of take from that? 
Right. So so there there is no oppressed oppressor narrative in in these um in these parables in hmm. in this chapter. There is no oppressed oppressor narrative. So so verses one through these three. These are not a hege- hegemonic uh parables here. These are not Oof. about the hege- the hegemony. hegemony? No. So, so that's a fun word to try to figure out to say either. And and it's, it's great do. because if you just I'm sorry, I, I was going. No, please keep going. Yeah. So um it, it's great because the the first few sentences, if you let the scripture speak for scripture, mm. the first few sentences tell us exactly what is being talked about here. There is no guesswork. And actually at the end, a lot of times when Jesus speaks in the parables through the gospels, people are confused by it. And ironically, at the end of this, the Pharisees are upset about it because they know exactly what he's talking it about. It turns out they got the meaning. They got the meaning. Ah. So um, all all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching uh, Jesus to listen to listen to him. Sorry. Uh, and the Pharisees... <laughs> thank you. Uh, so <laughs> and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's when the parable is told. So the... The one sheep in this parable is the sinner that Jesus is calling to, calling to and unto himself, right. the fold. Hmm. It is the the sheep is the individual that the Pharisees look down upon as 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 someone who Jesus should not be um, teaching teaching. Uh, fellowshipping with, reaching, reaching, sharing his life with. Yes, correct. Mm. It is the sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the the ninety nine. There's a little bit of tongue in cheek towards the end of the passage in verse seven. Um, I tell you the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Mm. Why is this the old tongue in cheek? Oh. Um, so it's not appropriate. We'll just stop that. <laughs> the ninety-nine are the are Jesus is describing as the Pharisees. Hmm. So, so the Pharisees, and we know this historically through through Scripture interpreting Scripture, how the Pharisees interact, and what we know of the Pharisees is historically, the Pharisees are the religious rulers and leaders um, who would consider themselves to be obeying the law up and above. Uh, the law itself. So they, they would describe themselves as, as righteous, pious people who are obeying the law of God. And that's where you see a clear distinction and a looking down upon the, the sinners that Jesus is, is um, fellowshipping with because they would never fellowship with those sinners. That would make them dirty. Um, it would taint the holiness that they appear, that they think that they have. And that's why there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek when it says um, the people who don't need repentance. Now we learn, if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we learn in Romans, all throughout Romans, all throughout the Scriptures, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need repentance. That's not what Jesus is clearly saying here. Jesus is clearly saying, you who think you are important, O Pharisees, O righteous ones, there is greater rejoicing over the sinner that truly repents um, and comes into the fold of God than there are over you who are sitting on your ivory towers and and not reaching the sinner. Um, and, and that's the tongue-in-cheek. And, and that's where you, you, you go through these passages, and when you land on the bottom layer of the sandwich in the parable of the lost son, the older son, the Pharisee, is looking at the younger brother, the one that the father is welcoming back with disdain. Because he says, I am righteous. I did what I was supposed to do. I am holy. And yet you honor this this, this selfish, wasteful person, and you accept him in repentance. And that is the attitude that we see all throughout the Gospels of the Pharisees. And so Jesus is directly correlating the 99 with, with the Pharisees and with the one as the sinner who the Pharisees don't see as deserving of salvation. There's also there's also deeper pictures than that even when you're going in, into Luke 15 because he actually feels, Jesus feels confident enough to leave the 99 in what the Bible expressly calls the open pasture. And so he's literally willing to leave 99 sheep in the open pasture. Why? Because these are not the sheep that are running. These are not the sheep that are leaving. These are not the sheep that are lost. These sheep remain 
together. He's not, he doesn't need to look for these sheep. He knows where they are. He knows exactly where they are. It is the lost sheep that he needs to go and find. And it's not the lost sheep that he goes to find and then coax back, right? He doesn't coax the sheep back to the herd. He puts the sheep on his shoulders and he carries the sheep back mm-hmm. to his safety and care. Why? Because that is his sheep. It's his sheep. That's the context of this passage. And even if you didn't get that, he tells you in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. This passage is about a sinner repenting. That's what it's about. It turns out that's what the parable is about. And so since there isn't a hegemonic issue in this passage, right? There isn't a, a cultural... Uh, powers passage. This is a passage about God seeking the lost sinner and calling them to repentance. That's what it's about. Right. Hmm. Then what we can then ask, I don't know if we're at a point where I can ask this question. Well, I mean, we're 44 minutes in, so So we better get to it. We best be at the point. (laughs) Knowing what this, what this passage not only expressly is about in its context, but Jesus, the Christ himself has told us what it's about in verse seven does it then fit into the narrative that we are trying to express a difference in the phrase, creating the dichotomy of all lives matter being the 99 and the, the lost sheep being black lives matter, these phrases that we're using? I mean, it, it does not in the way that in the way that the poster, poster meaning the person who posted, not meaning the thing the that one hangs on a wall. Oh. Certainly not in the way that he's reading it and intending it in in his summation of it. Um, we're we're talking about things of eternal value. Um, we're we're not talking about a, a an oppressed oppressor state um, like what the conversation is in our current culture. So you would say that the one is not in this passage specifically being in danger because they have a circumstantial issue. Rather, they are in danger because they are outside of the salvific work of god they are outside of his righteousness and holiness being imparted to it through repentance right the one sheep is not a is not a black man in in america Hmm. um with, with no other qualifying things other than that he is a black man in america um rather he is any man in america that finds himself in sin correct um which is any and all of us i was just raising my hand because i'm but i have a man in sin here <laughs> but uh high five to that <laughs> hey we planned that <laughs> <laughs> we planned this whole thing uh nothing that has happened <laughs> that's not been according to our plan yes well timed brother well timed oh so yes, you should all raise your hands. All raise your hands, and if you're there, we high find five ourselves in sin. If we find ourselves Correct. in sin, we need to repent. When we repent, it is literally the gracious Savior who hoists us onto His shoulders and carries our seventy-five pound butt back to the safety of His hand. I'm assuming that you were talking about, about a sheep, not you. My gosh, <laughs> let's be honest. The I'm sheep. like, I am having a great day. <laughs> We have to, we have to I think die. my left leg weighs uh, 75 uh, right. The digression is strong here. So now that we can understand both what the the context, the cultural context of the the viral post is, we can we can understand that there's a specific context to the actual scripture being used. We can then attempt to map the the content of the scripture with with the context of the post, and when we find them not matching. That requires something of us. It requires of us as Christians to say, uh, don't high five me. It requires, <laughs> I have a, I have something to say. Small quandary. <laughs> there, that, that we need to stand up boldly to say, wait, wait. This scripture says something so much more. That's the reality of Luke 15. Mm-hmm. What Luke 15 has for us is the reality of actually impacting through salvation the heart of a man. And because the the power of the gospel, right? The gospel itself is the message we share because it is the power of God expressed, right? 
Once that power is present in a life, through that life, you can then begin to hit all of these issues that you know and feel are wrong, but have no basis for inside of yourself, inside of your subjective reality. You can then let the power of God Hmm. move into these cultural spaces. You want to attack injustice? You need the power of God. If you want to attack Mm. um, the, if you want to attack um, marginalization, Mm -hmm. you need the power of God. Right. If you want to, if you want to un, uh, unroot sin, you need the power of God. These are not going to be able to be expressed if you don't actually know what Luke 15 is telling you to do. And Luke 15 is telling you to repent. Jesus doesn't lead the sheep back with his voice like he does, like like an like an Eastern Shepherd would in in with the rest of the flock as he's leading them to and fro throughout their lives. He goes. It is not the power of the sheep that brings the sheep back into the fold. It is Jesus Christ Himself who lifts the sheep up and carries him back. It is only through God's power that these things can be changed. A human heart can't change from stone to flesh without Christ. A sinner cannot repent apart from Christ. There is no repentance. Amen. Without the gospel. Um, and and therefore, there is no... Well, do you want to pivot? Do you want to pivot to, to no, our, no, to keep, our keep, culture? Keep, keep, there keep, is keep no here. cultural change apart from the gospel. The culture will not improve if Christians are not living like Christians, if Christians are not proclaiming the gospel, which is repentance of sin... Good news is good news, but bad good news doesn't need to be good news if there is no bad news. We must proclaim sin and repentance Amen. from it to a good and gracious God who will then forgive it. Amen. And that is what changes culture. That's what changes um, hearts and lives and reorients them around the things of God so that so that a racist man sees his sin and through the power of Christ repents of it so that so that a man who is steeped in pride over his national heritage whatever heritage that may be sees that sin and raises up ident his identity as a child of god up and over whatever country he came from or skin color he is amen and and the gospel is the only thing you catch a fire the the gospel is the only thing that changes that heart and causes it to repent. Amen. The work of Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection that brings life to a to a dead man stuck in his sin. Yeah. And I got the t- only thing. I got to tell you that if if you think that you're going to somehow unpack the problems of the culture and fix them but through the strength of man, you are very very sadly mistaken. This is why Christians need to stop for a second and when they're seeing posts like this go around, right? Particularly if you see someone share a viral post about the scripture that may be out of context, you have to stop for a second. And as you see friends posting and interacting with it in a way that may actually be giving credence to an improper understanding of what we need to do to actually affect heart change, which actually is the only thing that can affect real change, you need to say, stop, wait a second, this isn't right. This is not what the scripture says. You have spoken in error. Let me... Let me, let me call you back to what the scripture is actually saying here. And the, the weight of the scripture is telling us that you find repentance and you find grace, right? This is exactly what is expressed in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. It is that when you humble yourself, right, that you find out that the mighty hand of God that was opposed to you actually protects you, holds you, and cares for you. That's that's what happens when you when you repent when you when you choose to humble yourself before God when you are not repenting when you are not humble but you are proud of your own life you are finding opposition in God mm. and finding opposition from God there is no other enemy that will defeat you more steadily quickly and readily than God yeah uh, opposition from God safe place or dangerous place I'm gonna say dangerous place dangerous place mm. amen. Um, <laughs> Do you mind, you mind if I if I interject a point here? Yeah, you don't have a lot of time, but sure. Okay, so this is not to... We already affirmed the idea 
the the statement that Black Lives Matter. We did scripturally affirmed that. Amen. Which is the highest affirmation that that statement can ever get. Certainly higher than mine. We have we have gone through Luke fifteen. Yep. We have compared it and contrasted to. This post, which was um, posted erroneously, it is using scripture in a way that scripture it itself is not speaking. Correct. Okay. So, but here's here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing is that Luke 15 speaks to the people that the post is trying to speak to in a far more powerful way than that post ever could. Uh-oh. So, when you take a, po- a, 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 a when you take a scripture... Because we already affirmed his premises. His premise is that black lives matter, which is affirmed through the scriptures. I would say I don't affirm his premise in that it's somehow opposed to all lives matter. But right. yes, I affirm a, the main goal it is of a his subsect premise. of all lives matter. It must right. be. So, so to, to use the scriptures and to project a black man or a marginalized individual um, in our culture onto that lost sheep is is doing the parable injustice. It, it certainly is. It's also doing that person injustice by simply saying that they are the lost sheep by virtue of either maybe their economic status or their their melanin level mm-hmm. or or their cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. If that is the thing that you think you can project onto that one sheep, mm-hmm. you're doing a disservice to that person. Right. Because he, here's the truth. How much money you have doesn't send you to hell. Mm. The color of your skin doesn't send you to hell. Really? Who... Oh, man. <laughs> yep. It's always good to check your speech. What you do that is an outpouring of your sinful heart, your sin sends you yeah. to hell. That is your opposition to God. Your that skin color missing... doesn't separate you from God. That's correct. Your, sin... your God... life circumstances don't separate you from God. Whether that's you correct. live in a house or whether you live on the street, that's not what separates you from God. God Amen. doesn't care where you live. So true. He cares about your sin and whether that's been dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross. Whether Amen. that is that is the life that you're living, whether you are on the street or in a house. Because it turns out you could do a lot of really uh, evil things and end up with a lot of money. And you can do a lot of you evil... You ever know someone like that? I don't want to speak. You could also do a lot of really evil things and end up on the street. You could also do a lot of really good things and end up on the street, and a lot of really good things and end up on with a lot of money. But the reality of it is, is those things, they're just all your filthy rags. They're yeah. all your filthy rags. None of them brings you to God's holiness. They don't. They all build whatever kingdom, broken or, or big you think, that you have built. And your kingdom is in direct opposition. It is the enemy of God's kingdom. Wow. Right. Amen. So so the truth that this person in this post is trying to get from the text is not a truth that is anywhere close to the level of truth that the scripture itself actually says. It pales in comparison to the beauty of the text. When you try to misuse a text, the beauty of this text is that no matter who you are, no matter how bad you've been, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is pursuing you. In the pig pen mm. of the prodigal son, he is pursuing you like a woman who has lost her the, the coin that was given to her at her wedding. Like that woman who has lost something so precious to her, he is seeking after your heart. Uh-oh. And like a sheep that strays from the safety of the pasture that the shepherd set before them, he seeks you out for your repentance and your change, not not for you to change the things that don't matter. Not for you to change the, your circumstance or your or your skin color. Mm. But to change your heart. Yeah. And and so yeah. let me just let me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like I've said the same thing over and over again. But it's so. In the last few minutes true. here, let me just say real real clearly here. This is the point that Jesus is making because this is the point that Jesus came. Mm. Yes. This is why Jesus came. Jesus did not come to correct hegemonic issues jesus did not come right to to culturally temporal hegemonic issues let me be clear about that he came to set the hegemony pretty clearly the hegemony is god's here okay you're not that's that all right that's it um 
he, he didn't he, he actually did not come in any way to politically overthrow the Roman Empire. That's not what he came to do. Because if he had came let's if God comes to throw overthrow the Roman Empire, you know what God does? Overthrows the Roman ah, Empire. That's what he does. But what God came to do is conquer the actual enemy of mankind, sin and death. Hmm. And that's what he did. Because when God conquers those enemies, what he then gives as a gift, right? is the power of God for salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That changes the heart of man, indwells the man with the the same spirit of Christ himself had, the Holy Spirit of God, and allows that man to effectually do the will of God. That, doing that, that undoes Mm. all of the issues and errors in our culture and if you don't preach that message but you think somehow you're going to preach a message that's going to undo the evils in our society it's an epic fail Mm. epic all right uh you figure out a way to transition into q a and i'll I'll just like this no i'm gonna i'm gonna say something and then you figure out out your transition i'm gonna say something i I, I, this is how i want to wrap up so you're you're seeing two brothers who are passionate right now you're we are passionate about the gospel because we do not want we do not want something peddled as truth Mm. that does not shine with the hope of the gospel the gospel is what is primary of primary importance to us for for anyone listening or who may listen in years to come that is what we are focused on Uh, we could care less what the current cultural climate is because we would speak the same thing no matter the circumstance. This is true. And that is the passion that you hear. We, we are passionate not because we are angry um, at, at the person who posted this or at anyone who shared this. We are not angry at, 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 at people who are um, trying to push back against the narrative. We're not angry at any of that. We are passionate because we love the scriptures. Amen. We want to grow closer and know God better. And... And we want to share the good news that Christ seeks after the lost in their sin while we were yet enemies of God. Haters of God. We, he came and sought and saved us. Amen. And that is such a far more powerful message than any of the messages of hate that our culture has is, is, is peddling right now and has peddled in the past and will certainly peddle in the future. Amen. That will always be the message that we want to get passionate about. I am far more angry at myself for the times I have let things fly by in culture that have gone um, misconstruing God, who he is, and what he has said. Right? I'm far more angry at myself than I am at Jack Price or whoever actually posted this post initially before it got shared all over the world. Far more angry at myself for not actually Jared Price. I'm not. I'm far more angry at myself for not speaking out appropriately, and that's mm. the truth. Wait a bit, because that's my sin. And that's me not glorifying God and holding him high. So, right. so transition, I would say there's been some great comments on this thread. All right? I just want to say some fire comments. The fact that Jesse high-fived Sin, right? To the fact that, the fact that you all called out, um, <laughs> uh, I believe Rob specifically called out the fact that uh, by using this passage wrongly, by using the, the context of this passage wrongly, when they express their context from the passage onto the context, they're actually saying Black Lives Matter is the lost sheep that needs to repent, which is... You know, probably not what you were intending when you're looking at the passage accurately. That's probably not what you intended. So you guys are, are fire with that. If uh, if you have any questions, you can feel free to type them in now. We'll give uh, just a few minutes here. Um, since technically we gave about two minutes of leeway into the discussion, we were only an hour. I'm going to say that. I'm just going to hash that up there. By the, the grace of God, somehow our intro was 35 minutes and the... <laughs> When yeah. you have, when you have set the context so well, <laughs> then it just pours right out. It really right? does. The context was so well. Although I got to work on not like putting my hand here over top of the microphone. Over the, yeah, it's over I'm the talking. mic. That's you got to sit dumb. on the. You got to sit on this side okay. next time. Because my ha- right hand. Because I, I was and I was using my left. Anyway, you were using the hand of power, and I was using the hand that is not talked about in scripture pretty much <laughs> at all, except for maybe one oh, time. Maybe, but that's debated. It's debated in. Oh. Community groups <laughs> at our church. Yes. <laughs> study the hand of God in the scripture. It's a very awesome study. <laughs> so, uh, are there any questions? No, there's no questions. I don't see a lot of questions. I'm, I'm going to take that as the fact that you simply expressed such clear truth. Well done. Um, <laughs> this is an encouragement to me. Um, 
let if there's anything that you're thinking like if, if you found this to be helpful if you found this to be silly let us know um our intent is to continue to make content similar to this um if we're seeing some posts that we think are getting a little out of wackadoo um obviously our community is small but we'd love to speak to a small community and give you a tool that you can share if you so desire um to effectuate the gospel going forward that's yeah. all that matters yeah we're not like homer simpson we're not just going to like disappear into the hedges we're findable and we approachable findable. yeah um, watch out there's this really great podcast coming out that i've heard about hmm. hmm spoilers spoilers oh wait james or rob gosh dang it uh, what does a Christian... I was hiding his identity in case the world didn't want to... Oh. Anyway. Uh, what does a Christian obligation to do justice in society look like? Man, I'm glad you asked that. Oh, jeez. What does a Christian obligation to do justice in society look like? Um, so, what I'm going to say... Is that uh, the entire context of, of that statement there? From Micah 6 eight? I was. That, that's where I was going to turn. Wow, man! Let's both pull our Bibles out. <laughs> uh, if you if you're going to lead anybody uh, in the faith, you should lead with your Bible open. Amen. Mm. So we're going to turn to a not oft turned to book, but a incredibly overturned to verse in that book, Micah. That is the book of Micah, verse six, chapter six, verse eight. And uh, I'm struggling because it's way it's way towards the back. Yeah, it's like uh, Jonah, Micah. Yep, there it is. Nahum, Habakkuk. Yep. Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Daniel. Ezekiel, yep. Daniel. There it is. There All it right, is. It took me a little bit. I apologize, everyone. It's my fault. Micah 6, verse 8. Would you like to read it? From You know, you already read from the ESB. I'm reading from the NASB. Well, this is actually the CSB. Mind and blown. you should read it from the AS, NASB. Mind blown. Um, Micah 6, 8 from the New American Standard Bible says this. Mm-hmm. He has told you, O oh man, what is good... And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So God here is telling us very simply that uh, there, is, there is three things that are good and three, three, three things that are required of the Lord. Mm. And I'm going to take your question, rip it out, and shove it right in here, okay? Um, what does a Christian... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Not a graphic. What does <laughs> what does a Christian obligation to do justice in society look They're like? They're still seeing us. We can't see us. It looks you. like this. All right. This is what it looks like. He has called us to do justice. What it does not say here is any specific form of justice other than God's. Mm. This is God's justice. You want to do that? You can do that. You can turn to all sorts of passages. Psalm seventy-two. Oh. Give the king thy judgments, O God. Right. This is this is the the king crying out. God, help me know what to do. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness to the king's son. May he, the king, right, judge thy people with righteousness. He wants to judge with your righteousness and thine afflicted, those that are suffering, those marginalized, with justice. Even justice for the afflicted? Let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted of the people and save the children of the needy and crush the oppressor yes we do justice we do god's justice we cry out to god to illuminate to us his justice that's what we seek the king here is seeking to do god's justice and god's justice is not a respecter of persons lest you think it is Mm. let me turn to a leviticus leviticus chapter 19 verses verse 15 says this you shall do no injustice in judgment You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer, verse 16, among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So if you want to know what Micah 6, 8 is saying, saying, do God's justice. Do God's justice. Is someone doing righteous or is someone doing unrighteous? If they are doing unrighteous, what do they need to do? Luke 15 tells us they need to repent they need to repent that's what they need to do so we are to do god's justice which means uphold his righteous standards then we need to love kindness this is literally the phrase here kindness is the phrase law uh, loving kindness is the mm-hmm. phrase expressed throughout the new testament as god's grace right as god's long-suffering mercy mm-hmm. right so some translations i believe ESV. how about the csv the CSB? Uh, csb translated translates it to love faithfulness faithfulness this is, this is a word that is so amazingly all-encompassing in the Old Testament that 
Um, oftentimes it would simply be expressed as grace in the New Testament, right? This is God's mercy towards mm. us. Now, you cannot love mercy unless you do justice. And here's the thing that we don't like about this passage, right, Rob? I'm, I'm just expressing this. That, yes. Yep, it's still I'm, I'm still answering your question, Rob. You, you must love mercy, but you do justice first. And when you do justice, then you can love mercy. And where do you love mercy? You don't love mercy on someone else, right? We want to do justice on others who've sinned, who've done wrong, who've done evil. They need to be, they need to face justice. And then we want to love mercy for me. I want to love mercy for me. Mm. My mercy. I need the mercy. Mm. No. The person you've expressed justice on needs the mercy. Right. You do justice so you can then love mercy onto it. And nobody wants to say this. No one wants to say this about that evil person, right? That, that at the time was wearing a police officer's uniform who did an evil thing. No one wants to say that they need to love mercy upon him. They want to do the first part here, and then the mercy gets expressed to other people, other marginalized groups. He gets the justice, they get the mercy. That's not what this passage is saying at all. And you do that, right, all of this under the umbrella of walking in humility, the only thing that can bring you into the salvific and, and gracious hand of God, the repentance, the humility of walking humbly, humbly with God. Mm. I can't be any more clear. I you, hope can't, that, you can't be any more good. I hope that we was had, killed, Rob. Oh, wow. That's that was mini Crush the mic. Oh, um, no. I'm sorry, microphone. That's, that's fine. Uh, um, no, well, so we'll, we can... Uh, any other questions? <laughs> I'll get back to it. Uh, you did preach a sermon off of Micah 6.8 that goes into far more detail uh, as well that we can post uh, post up somewhere. But no. It was a sermonette. It was a sermonette. That was a sermonette. Oh, um, look. It was fire. It was fire. That's great. Um, um, hopefully just refining fire. Oh, refining fire. Refining we fire, do need to yeah. refine a fire. Um, I, need, I need that fire. Well, no, well, we don't need to refine the fire. The fire needs to refine. I this. need the refining fire. You need the refining fire. I need fire. the refining fire. Correct. Amen. Yes. More than I do. Um, so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> High five and say again. <laughs> if there's right. other questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll end it here. Thank you guys so much for, uh, for tuning in. Um, this is the first time we've ever tried to do anything like this before. We'll try to be even more concise next time. Or maybe we'll just uh, be longer. We'll you try. never know. You don't know. I mean, he'll try. We don't know. Uh, so, yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, we're going to end the video here. Uh, be looking out. We'll try to post it. We did record separately the audio for this. So, uh, if you want to share it out. You um, may find the audio on a, a new and upcoming podcast that is going to be awesome. That the whole world is going to catch fire, too. As soon as we nail down a logo, uh, we'll make a Facebook change. And it will be there. Oh, Strange Fire. <laughs> Strange fire. <laughs> oh, no, Johnny Oh, Mac. touche. Oh, man. Well done. Alrighty. Well done. And, and on that note. Um, Have a great rest of your uh, weekend. We're kicking it off right here. And uh, and don't forget, uh, you need to go to a local expression of God's community, God's bride, the church this weekend. So that's coming up Sunday. Get to one. Yep. Internet church is not church. Internet church is not church. Love you guys.